This is Linda Popke, author of Marketing Above the Noise, and you're listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal in this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's working in modern marketing. Don't worry about taking notes. Links to everything are at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today, I'm joined by Linda Popke, and we're going to talk about her new book, Marketing Above the Noise, Achieve Strategic Advantage with Marketing That Matters. Linda Popke is the president of Leverage to Market Associates, a California-based strategic marketing firm with clients ranging from small businesses to Fortune 500 companies, and she has been named one of the top women of influence in Silicon Valley. Linda is also the author of Marketing Your Career and Promoting Your Nonprofit. A classically trained pianist, Linda recently released a CD of classical piano music. Linda, congratulations on Marketing Above the Noise and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you, Douglas. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Well, let me just read one excerpt and then we'll uh, ask you to tell the story about how this book came to be. Okay. Having been around the block a few times, I've watched marketing evolve and change dramatically over the years, but I've also watched what hasn't changed. And I'm here to tell you that marketing as a profession is alive and well, thank you. But we marketing leaders do have some work to do to remain relevant and create value for the organizations that employ us. So, Linda, what is the story that led to this book? Well, Douglas, I've been around marketing for a number of years, and what I've noticed the last couple of years, both with my clients and with other companies and organizations, is that there's so much that's available to us as modern marketers, uh, both in terms of new technologies, new ways to reach people, etc. And the good news is that it's become so much easier to access some of these marketing tools. And the bad news is it's become so much easier to access these <laughs> tools. So people do things all the time, and they do some things they probably shouldn't. And what I noticed is that some organizations and marketers were just adding, adding to the noise that's out there. They were just trying to be heard above everything by, by just shouting and, and just hitting you with, with everything they possibly could. And consumers are, are kind of covering their heads and saying, help, let me out of here. So I stopped to, I used my marketing background as well as my musical background. And I said, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a way to create some good music here as a marketer rather than just add to the noise. And that's what led me to, um, to write the book. What are some of the realities that have, have changed permanently for, for marketers out there that maybe all marketers and companies uh, haven't caught up to or acknowledged yet? Well, there are a couple of things that have changed. I mean, certainly we do have digital media. We do have social media. Uh, we don't deliver things um, through old-fashioned uh, paper communications. Most of our mail is, is online through email versus paper mail, etc. But what's really changed is the way we interact with our customers and prospects. We have conversations with them. They're interested in getting content and learning about what we are, who we, what we do, what we have to offer. Uh, and they, they interact in communities, and we need to become involved with them. So it's much more of a two-way conversation than it ever was before. Um, the way we deliver products, we have the ability to customize products. Uh, the way we use data is important. And, uh, and the, also the way that we do demand generation and, and how we reach out to customers. So all those things have changed recently. Yeah, 
it seems that customers are much more informed. They want to do their own research. It seems like the last thing they want to do is engage with a, a salesperson until they absolutely have to. And that seems to be throwing a lot of sales organizations off. Yeah, absolutely. I think what's happening is is you have more educated prospects and consumers, and they come into the the process by doing their homework first. So sales reps or, or channels in general are brought in later into the process. And by the time you're brought in, the customer is, is somewhat educated. They know what they want. They've perhaps done some research. They've read reviews. Uh, and they're, they're really kind of getting to the point of saying, should I be interested in you or should I not? You know, why should I look at you versus someone else? So it can be a very competitive situation. And what that means is you've got to do a good job of creating brand awareness and making people aware of you long before they call your sales rep, because the sales rep is not coming in till the end. And at that point, uh, if they don't know who you are, then they're probably unlikely to seriously consider you as an alternative. At worst, or at best, they might just want to be talking about your price by then, because they've already pretty much got what they know they need. Exactly. And, and that's not where you want to be. You don't want to be competing on price. You also don't want to be discounted because what they've read or heard about you is not exactly what you can do for them. So you want to be able to, to make sure that you have the right message out there. You're reaching out, you're, uh, you're getting your brand and, and, uh, and your offerings out there and represented the right way and that your customers and prospects are considering you and feeling good about you long before they give your sales rep a call. Mm-hmm. So 100 years ago, there might have been people that had done extremely well in the horse and buggy world, and the cars were coming along, and it might have been a little difficult for them to make that shift, some of them. Are you seeing a similar type of uh, resistance, or, or what are the problems you see for marketers and companies uh, as they adjust to this really uh, uh, new world of marketing? Well, it's interesting, Douglas, because I don't think we ever had any of the horse and buggy manufacturers who became auto manufacturers. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and even if you, you know, we think about computers, you know, the, uh, most of the companies that were around in, in the old days of big computers aren't here anymore, with the exception of perhaps IBM. Uh, but we could go through kind of the graveyard of like digital uh, equipment and Apollo and, and some of those names that, that, uh, that this generation won't know. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so the question is, can you make the change? And I think what's happening is we're seeing companies who are saying um, it's not necessarily their products that are being outdated and obsoleted, but how they reach the market. And the companies that are surviving and are doing well are the ones that are making the changes and saying, um, let's figure out how we can get closer to our customers, how we can get heard above the noise, how we can go back and do the right things that are going to position us correctly. So the backbone of the book, you talk about the dynamic market leverage model. And that includes these, uh, these areas that give people a 360-degree view uh, in modern marketing color <laughs> of their organization. And it includes uh, strategy, products, customers, brand, communication, operations, sales channels, and market analysis. Now, I list those eight, not so that people won't read the book, <laughs> but to whet their appetite. But let's go back to the strategy, which is probably my favorite part of the book. And can you talk about uh, mountain climbing? as it relates to strategy. Would love to. Uh, and my feeling is that, that strategy is the place where you need to start. And that sounds very simple, but I can't tell you how many times people want to go off and climb a mountain 
without uh, necessarily have thought it out, have thought the whole thing out. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you decide you want to climb a mountain and you go off and you get all the right mountain climbing gear, you go to REI or someplace like that, you start climbing the mountain and you get about two-thirds of the way up and then you say, wow, I should have been on the mountain next door. Um, I really don't want to be on this mountain. I want to be on the next one. You can't just jump. You've got to go all the way back down and climb the next mountain again. Um, and that's what happens when you don't have a strategy and you haven't done some good strategic thinking to make sure that you're climbing the right mountain. Now, even worse than that, Douglas, is you start climbing a mountain, you get close to the top and you say, you know, I shouldn't have been climbing a mountain to start with. I really wanted to, to go deep sea diving instead. Well, now not only you have to go back down to the bottom and start over, but you've got the wrong equipment and you've wasted a lot of time and resources and energy and you've got to start from a kind of a negative perspective. And that's what happens when organizations don't take the time to be strategic and understand where they are and where they want to go and make sure that that's all in sync. What do you think are the contributing factors behind companies having this ready-fire-aim approach where they just seem to skip or gloss over or have a, a blindside for strategy? Well, I tell you, Douglas, I think one of the things that contributes is we are in a world where everything happens so quickly. We are spoiled in this real-time environment where everything has got to happen very, very quickly, uh, a reaction, an action, a reaction, react to the reaction, etc. And so people want to get out there and they just want to go out and, and jump in. And it looks so enticing and inviting that we just want to jump in the water and start swimming. Um, but we haven't looked to see whether it's, again, it's the right water uh, or whether we really know how to swim or we're dressed for it, etc. Or more importantly, are your customers in the right place? So very often it, it looks so interesting that we want to get out. We feel there's a competitive nature to get out there. Um, we want to move quickly, which is a, a good sign. We don't want to wait too long, but we move too quickly, and we, and we therefore have to redo what, uh, what we did to start with. Several times in the book, you write about a merry-go-round. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's just going yeah. faster and faster, and it certainly applied to that, uh, as well as some of the other issues. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because the merry ground is fine for a while, but, but, but then it goes faster and faster until you feel like you're going to be sick. And you just can't keep riding the same merry ground. You got it. That horse isn't going anywhere. It's going in a circle. So you need to get off of there and figure out where you really want to be going to. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about the musical chairs? That was one of my favorite uh, analogies. I'd never seen it used, and I, I may borrow it in a presentation, with attribution, of course. Okay, sure. Um, and, and what I mean by the, by the musical chairs is uh, it's kind of a reverse musical chairs. Um, everybody's got a set of chairs, and your customers scurry around, and they're trying to figure out where to land. But instead of removing a chair the way you would if you were playing the old-fashioned game, it's like we're adding chairs. Uh, and so there's more options being added all the time. So we have more choices of where to sit. Uh, and if you're not, if you have chairs that are empty, you can't really afford to, um, to just be sitting and waiting. You've got to make sure that your prospects choose your chairs as much as possible. Otherwise, you're sitting there kind of like, think about an empty restaurant, you know, where you've got all the tables set and nobody shows up. The restaurant so just gets bigger and bigger. <laughs> it gets bigger and bigger, exactly. So you have to show your customers and prospects that you've got the right features and benefits. You've got the right value. You understand what they've got. And that they should come and sit down on your chairs and and be there. And the customers that are already sitting down are saying, wait, there's another chair that looks a little bit more interesting over there. Maybe I should go over and check that one out. So you've got to spend just as much time retaining your existing customers as you do going and getting new ones. 
Uh, and you do that by building relationships and making sure you understand what they need uh, and then working with them to, um, uh, to react and, uh, to, to their concerns and build that relationship into a solid um, uh, loyalty, uh, you know, where, where, the, where your customers basically say, hey, why would I even consider moving chairs? Mm-hmm. It was like a reverse scarcity model. <laughs> exactly. We, we're living in an era of abundance. We have so many choices, and that sometimes makes life harder. Mm-hmm. Now, how did you discover the, this, this eight-part dynamic market leverage model? What, what brought you to that? Because, I mean, you could have had 100 things. Yeah, and you know, and there probably are a hundred things if, if we sit in and break them down. But I said, you know what, let's try and put them into some big categories that if you, if you do these categories, you've hit kind of the, uh, you've checked off all the big boxes. And, and we talked about strategy. You've got to know your market, which is, uh, you know, where you are, what are you competing? What are your competitors doing correctly? What's happening in your market? So that's important. That's where you're, you're sitting and, and What does and the playing. status quo look like? A lot of companies exactly. don't seem to realize that it's not just the people that are doing what they're doing. It's uh, the biggest competitor could be people who just make no decision at all. That's right. And, and status quo is sort of if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. So you need to, um, you need to figure out how to get people to move and make a decision uh, rather than just sitting and waiting and, and not doing anything. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So you need that. You need the products. You need to have products and services that are good. I mean, I'm presuming that if you're coming and reading this book, you've got a good set of products and services. But that's absolutely critical. You cannot sell something that people don't want or, or provide something that they do want, but you're not providing a good version of it for very long because they'll catch on and they won't come back and they will tell everyone in this new world and that will be the end for you. So that's important. Um, Customers, again, we've started to talk about this, but you need to really understand what makes your customers tick. And we hear everybody talk about customers, but they don't necessarily do more than give it lip service. Quite a few people. They think they know. And that's important because you think you know everything about your customers, but you will learn so much more by just sitting and asking them some questions. Customers love to tell you what's on their minds, but you have to ask. And you have to ask in a way that says, I'm going to make sure that this input and this information gets back to the right people. So asking customers is one thing, but you've got to take the input that you get and you've got to incorporate that back into your processes so that something happens. There's some change. You don't want to just ask me my input and then ignore me afterwards. Which seems to happen all the time. It's like I don't really want to answer these surveys anymore because I'm wondering, well, what oh, are they yeah. going to do with it? Right. Or, or when you walk into a, a store and the, and the checkout clerk says to you, did you find everything you were looking for? Well, whether you did or not, you're probably not going to respond to them because what if you said no? They don't Sometimes know what I to do. do with that. <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't. And they look at you, well, I don't know what to do. I was just supposed to ask that question, right? Yeah. So, um, so that's their a problem. Fault. Yeah. It's not their fault. Yeah. So you need, you need to, to do better than that. And you need to be really understanding what your customers want and responding to what they tell you. Mm-hmm. And then you need to think about your brand uh, and what it is that, um, that you stand for and how you're going to get that brand out in the marketplace, uh, how you're going to build that reputation, um, leveraging your experiences, uh, making sure that your, um, the changes to your brand are, um, are, are consistent with the image you want and that you don't just change things to change things as we've seen so many companies do, uh, and that you're really looking at, at responding 
quickly to customers responding, asking you questions so that you can get uh, the right brand um, response out there and build your reputation. It's so easy for reputation to be knocked down by, uh, by inaction or, or sometimes just... Um, uh, just ignorance on the part of, of the brand owners. Yeah, and you explain that, you know, we're not talking about logos here. So many people, when I talk about brands or branding, that's what they're thinking of really graphic standards and not, not anything beyond that. But you mentioned the word reputation. Uh, that seems to be the thing that starts to help companies understand more about what brand is. Exactly. Exactly. Your reputation is really all that you have uh, because no matter how good your service is, if I don't think you're good and I don't perceive that you're good, uh, then I'm not going to consider you. And, or, and worse yet, I'm going to tell everybody else about what I think about you. And that's where this new reality kicks in because uh, before I might tell four or five people, now I might, I might just vent on four or five places where there are thousands of people that are listening, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, etc. Uh, and so it's so much more important that when someone starts to complain about your brand, that there's somebody sitting there watching and not just responding quickly saying, hey, I heard you, but continuing the conversation to try and fix things. In the book, you mentioned Daniel Pink a few times, and, and he wrote uh, an endorsement on your book. He talks about how it's no longer buyer beware, <laughs> it's seller beware. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and Dan's a great guy. I've, I've had the chance to, to sit and chat with him several times. Um, and he really is, is on to something with that because he says that, you know, in the old days, we were content to be sold too. And we expected our sales reps to, to kind of give us the wine and dine and, and the, full, um, the full pitch. Today, we don't want to do that. You know, today, it's really your, your buyer is educated and, your, and the seller really has to understand how to, um, how to reach them and what to say and what not. Yeah, the, the shoe's on the other foot. Well, uh, Linda, by law, I'm required to ask you about social media. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's but I, right. I love the way you covered it in the book because, um, you know, I, I, I always see companies uh, – treating social media as the shiny disco ball, the, the shiny object, and it seems to suck all the oxygen out of the room. But, you know, there's a, there's a time and place for it. And I sense that in the part where you talk about social media, you talk about content almost as much or more. Can, can you explain the, the relationship between those two and what you really wanted people to understand about social media? So uh, first, Douglas, I, I think you're absolutely right, and, and I want to be clear that I'm not saying don't use social media. Social media needs to be part of the mix, but that's not your strategy. Your strategy is understanding your customer, your product, your, uh, you know, your market, etc., uh, and starting with a strategic vision. And then you go out and say, how do I reach these people? Where are they? And that's where social media comes in because that's where we do see people online and we see people talking. So you need to understand um, where your customers are going to be and how they're interacting with you. Context is absolutely critical here. So even though every customer that you might ever talk to might be on Facebook, it's quite likely that they're not there to, to talk to you or to listen to what you have to say. They're there to share pictures of their kids or their grandkids or what they did for the weekend. Or oh, Don't forget about the cat videos. The cat videos. I was about to say that. The latest cat video or I'm a dog lover so the latest dog videos right, right. Um, but you know they're not necessarily there to listen to you so you need to be monitoring that you need to perhaps have a presence but you need to be thinking about where to reach the right people 
Um, and again, depending on our, your cut, you know, the age of your customers, uh, certain audiences are more likely to be using certain social media channels than others. And so you need to understand that, uh, understand the likelihood of, of, um, of where the decision makers are um, for your business, particularly if you're B2B. And then you need to go and, and use that correctly. And then I, I have several examples in the book of, of people who said, gee, for example, uh, there's a, a, a credit counseling agency in Atlanta called Credibility. And they said, gee, you know, we're, we're trying to reach people who are in financial trouble. This was during the recession. And they said, uh, you know, some of these folks really do not have good credit uh, histories and they need our help. But they were not necessarily going to friend credibility because they didn't want to admit to all their Facebook friends that they had financial problems. Mm -hmm. So that was not the right way to use social media. What they did is they created polls about financial topics and they asked you to participate. Uh, they reached out to media and they, uh, they talked about, you know, they talked to actual reporters and, and, and bloggers about topics that might be of interesting uh, to, to, um, to readers in that financial area. And so they use social media in a very different way. But just going out and saying, I've got so many clicks or I've got so many followers or tweets or, um, you know, or people who like me, et cetera, that's not necessarily the right way for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think I heard uh, just today that uh, Facebook is only going to show 2.2% of your fans the content that you publish on Facebook. So again, it talked to the importance of making sure you had a home base on your website uh, to try and get people to and then use social media you know, for, for the right purposes. Absolutely. Um, at the end of the book, you talk about momentum factors that even if you get these eight areas right, there are still some things that could kill you, could stop you in your tracks. And one of them that I thought was most interesting was organization. And the, in terms of buy-in, can you talk about the importance of that? Absolutely. And if we think about, I talk a lot about noise. There's really two types of noise that I see, Douglas. The first is the external noise. And that's what gets between you as an organization or, or a brand and your potential customers. But then there's a second type of noise, which is the noise internal to the organization. And that's when we as marketers are having trouble getting our message heard within our own organization. We're not perhaps in sync with sales or um, or customer support or the product development team or the IT group that is providing the data to us. And more importantly, uh, with the senior executive team. So we need to be in sync with, um, with what our, our corporate strategic goals are. It's not just about being creative and creating a fun website and, and you know, doing uh, all that creative fun stuff that marketing people are known for. Party planning. Um, exactly. Events and all that. Yeah. But it's, it's also uh, making sure that we're becoming the strategic advisors to the, um, to the senior team, to having a place at the table, to understanding what it is they want to accomplish and driving that through our organizations. And when you do that and you're in sync that way, you eliminate that internal noise, which I compare to static, which is just kind of getting in the way of the message being heard and getting out there. Mm -hmm. For a generation, I've heard marketing people here and there complain they didn't have a place at the table. Well, uh, some of them are getting pulled to the table, and some of them are really liking the fact that they're having an impact on a greater impact on revenue and 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 a greater insights into the customer, which is driving what's going on in the organization. So, I would hope that uh, you know a lot of marketers start to understand that. Uh, ready or not, they're going to be pulled to the table and they're either going to thrive <laughs> or they're going to have to move on and, and find something else to do. Um, at the end of the book, you talk about 
uh, a test that you can take, uh, dynamicmarketleverage.com. Can you talk about that? You know, what I've done, uh, Douglas, is I've taken these eight factors that we discussed and I've kind of created a, a and it's, it's not a quick, quick test. It would take you probably about a half hour, but I've created this assessment test that says, let's look at each of these factors and there's maybe 10 or 12 questions related to each. And from that, we can see kind of how you're doing on each of those. And is there an area that you really need to focus on from your marketing? And what's interesting is you can do that just as, as one individual from a company or we can actually uh, do that for your entire marketing team and see whether everyone's in agreement about your strengths or um, is there some disconnects between what part of the marketing team thinks is working and what the other part thinks. So it's kind of an interesting assessment test and uh, it's available on the website as you mentioned and, uh, and I'd be happy to, um, to, to work with any of your, of your listeners who, um, who had an interest in figuring out more about that because uh, I think it, it could provide some very interesting insights. Well, we'll make sure to have a link to that and, and to the other things to help point folks uh, towards you. So, Linda, if, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? So the one thing I, th- I think, Douglas, is that it's not about how big you are. It's not about how much you kind of throw against the wall, the size of your budget. It's about really being focused on who your customer is, what your strategy is, and what you need to do, and going out and executing against that. Uh, and just do that in an effective way. Do it small, then add to it. Um, but don't just jump in and, and try to do everything that looks like uh, it's happening today, because then you'll never be noticed. You need to really be focused on what you really, what's really important for you and your uh, and your company and your organization. Before we wrap up, let me ask you a few questions that are popular with the listeners. Uh, what's a recent marketing or business book that you read that you, that you read uh, and recommend? Well, actually, Douglas, I've just finished two marketing books um, that I highly recommend. One is um, uh, Dory Clark's brand new book, Stand Out, which is um, just fascinating. And uh, I've read both her books. And then the second is my friend and colleague, Robbie Kelman Baxter's book on the membership economy, uh, which is kind of instead of buying things, you become you get access to, um, to things in this new economy. And I'd recommend both of those books. I would, too. They've both been on the Marketing Book Podcast talking about those books. Great interviews, great books. You, you run with a good crowd there, Linda. Oh, we try, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so are there any marketing or business books you're looking forward to reading? Well, I've just gotten a book called Fizz, Harness the Inner Power of Word of, Mark, Mark, of, Word of Mouth Marketing to Drive Brand Growth. So that's kind of next as my, um, my next marketing business book to read. By Ted Wright. Is that right? Yes, He's gonna. I'm gonna be interviewing him next week. He'll be on uh, on an episode soon. There you go. You, you're hanging with the right people well, as well. And you know what? His book actually showed up, and I was like, "Oh, this is exciting!" So um, that's uh, that's great. Everything's changing quickly in marketing. How do you continue your business education? You know, who who do you follow? What do you read? What do you listen to? How does Linda do it? Well, you know, it's a combination of things, and I'm a little bit old-fashioned, so I I still read the Wall Street Journal every day, and I read the paper copy just because I like to hold it. Um, But I, I, you know, I look at at broad business books or or, or publications like Fortune and Forbes and Inc. and Fast Company and Entrepreneur and all those types of things, and some of them I read the old paper version, and sometimes I find things online. 
Um, I'm looking at, at blogs and, and um, Twitter and uh, I just I have a, a, a number of things and there's a Twitter feed that I've kind of uh, curated uh, that actually if you want to follow me at popky.com, P-O-P-K-Y, mm-hmm. we actually kind of um, look at what's going on across a number of, of, of interesting marketing thinkers and, and try to get that content out to people on a regular basis. Is it a Twitter uh, list that you have built? Yeah, it is. Oh, because we can but include it, that in the show notes too, so people can follow that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And we and we try to retweet what we think are some of the more interesting things on a daily basis. So if you do follow me on Twitter, then um, you know you'll you won't just hear about Linda. You'll hear about what we think are just interesting things happening. I love to um, uh, to look at what's going on in the world in current events and uh, and try to put a business spin on it. So once a week, I also do an, a. Um, uh, an email uh, blast that goes out called Top of Mind Thursday. And we look at just, you know, what's happening in the world and where's the marketing and business lesson on it. So uh, if folks are interested in that, then they can go to my website, which is marketingabove.com, and, uh, and they can uh, subscribe to that as well. So, Linda, you mentioned a few uh, links, uh, websites, and so forth. How best for the listeners to find out more about you and your book? So, Douglas, really the best way is to go to marketingabove.com, and, uh, and that will link to all of my websites. There's free content in terms of a free chapter of the book. Uh, there's some podcasts I've done. There's blogs. There's information about subscribing to my Top of Mind Thursday News uh, Blast. Uh, and also, you can follow me on Twitter at popkey.com. That's P as in Peter, O-P-K-Y. I'm sorry, at popkey, not popkey.com. Uh, and you'll be able to, um, to get some of that interesting marketing stuff that I, I talked about that we're, we're constantly looking for and getting out there. Uh, and that's probably the best way to find us. Well, and what about Linda Plays Piano? Ah, lindaplayspiano.com. If you're interested in the classical music, absolutely. Um, that's the way to get out there. And that's, of course, my fun and my passion in life and uh, love to do that. I spent way too much time on that one while I was getting ready for the show, listening. Um, Great. So the name of the book is Marketing Above the Noise, Achieve Strategic Advantage with Marketing That Matters. The author is Linda Popke. Linda, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Oh, Douglas, it's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. Links to everything mentioned are in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And while you're there, you can subscribe to the podcast newsletter to get notified of every new episode, its show notes, links, and other useful things. Also, at marketingbookpodcast.com, there are about 20 free marketing ebooks on a wide variety of topics that lots of people have found helpful. If you're one of the people who's left an iTunes or Stitcher review, I really appreciate it, and it has more impact than you might realize. A one-sentence review shoots the podcast way up in the listings. Finally, I get such a kick out of hearing from my listeners. It really makes my day. To send a message, just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and click on the Contact Podcast button. Got an idea or suggestion? Maybe I'm doing something wrong? Let me know. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Till next time. (laughs) 